0: Ruth chapter number 2, verse number 1 says, And Naomi had a kinsman of her husband's, a mighty man of wealth, of the family of Elimelech, and his name was Boaz. Ruth is a beautiful book. It's a beautiful story. A story of how two people from the most unlikely of circumstances met and fell in love. Ruth was a poor widow who leaves her home country with her mother-in-law, both widows. Ruth goes into a new country. She doesn't know anybody. She doesn't know the culture. She doesn't have any prospects, really any hope at all. She's starting over. And by chance, she enters a circle of one of the most powerful men In this new country they fall in love they get married and they start a family what are the odds that these two people would ever meet what are the odds that these two opposites a mighty man of wealth in the land of Judah and a poor widow Moabitess girl would meet and not only meet, but take notice of one another and then fall in love. It is a, like I said, it's a beautiful story. And it might be, if it was a movie, it was just meant to be. Well, it was meant to be, and it wasn't by chance, but it was by God's providence. This was all meant to be. But it was God who meant it to be. God is the one who orchestrated this, this story. God is the matchmaker in this story. God is the one that brings these two together. And so as you read on, you see that Naomi starts playing the matchmaker, and Naomi starts working to bring the two together, but, but it is God who has brought these uh, two people together. It is God who has orchestrated this whole story of Ruth. God is the one who brought them together. God is the one that that brought the famine. God is the one that brings the the feast. God was the one that brought famine into uh, Bethlehem to start with. God is the one that uh, brings uh, the rain and, and the barley back into harvest. God is at work in this story. And what God does in the Old Testament, when you read the biographies of these people and the stories of their lives, it's not that the, that the writer of the book of Ruth made this up and made these characters up in this situation. This really happened. There really was a Ruth. There really was a Boaz. There really was a Naomi. This really did happen. And it really did happen just as the, the, the historian tells us. But we have to remember that God is the one that has orchestrated not just this story, but all of, of history. He has orchestrated to this together, and God had a purpose in this. That God had a purpose in the book of Ruth, and it wasn't just that we could have a good love story in, in the Bible. But it is ultimately telling part of a bigger story of, of our salvation and our redemption in Christ. And so that's how Jesus could say in Luke 24 that um, the, in the law and the, of Moses and the prophets and all the Psalms speak concerning him. That, that the scriptures testify of Jesus. Why? Because there's one author. Now, a human being wrote, pinned down the book of Ruth, but there's one author of the Bible, and that, that is the Lord. And there's one author in providence, and that is the Lord God, and so God has orchestrated this together. And so, in chapter one, you see the pain in God's providence that He He first He brought famine, and then uh, in, in God's providence, you see death of Elimelech and then his boys, and then now you have three widow women, and and now in God's providence, two. When Naomi's coming back home, and Ruth comes with her. But it's telling a story of redemption. It's adding a little bit more to the story of redemption. And so, when we read the book of Ruth, we could, if we might say, well, what's Ruth about? We could we say, well, it's about two people who meet and fall in love, and, and that would be an accurate statement. That it is about that. But you could also say it is about how a Gentile girl was brought into the family, the people, the covenant people of God. And you could say, well, who's the, the story, the, the, the protagonist? Who's the hero of the, of the book? And "Well, so it's named after Ruth, so she's the main figure. But we could also say, who points us to Christ? Well, Boaz points us to Christ. Boaz, we, see, we see a prefigure of Christ in Boaz. And so we could see that as well. The Bible is given us to show us Jesus, but also given to us to show us how to walk with Jesus. The scriptures instruct us in the way of life to Christ, but also instruct us in the way of life in Christ. And to show us our sin and our need of a Savior. And so as you read chapters, or as you just read this book, the Bible teaches us in these historical narratives, Also, the big picture is pointing to Christ. And it also... Shows us how we are to believe and act. So it's not wrong to look at this and 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 also see, well, here is an, a, a man to admire, here's a, a woman to admire. And we can say, look at their faith, look at his kindness, look at how he obeys the law, look at how he um, is gracious to those who need mercy, and how Boaz is merciful unto Ruth and and all these other things. So we can look at this and see Christ. We can look at this story and see how we are to live in Christ. We can look look at examples for us, and we can also look at warnings. David Murray said that Paul highlighted how the Old Testament described Abraham's faith for our benefit. Paul viewed the whole Old Testament as a history of Israel in particular for our examples. The Apostle James pointed to Job and Elijah as examples for imitation. The writer of Hebrews upheld Jesus and his Old Testament saints as examples. The Lord himself warned us to remember Lot's wife as an example, as a warning to us. And John Owen summed it up well, when he said, the Old Testament examples are New Testament instructions. And so, on the one hand, yes, we can look at the the people and see Examples for us to walk in Christ, but also to remember that the Old Testament testifies of Christ. So we, we look for Christ, and we look and say the, the New Testament tells us how we are to walk in Christ, and here's examples of, of one of God's people doing such things. Or here's an example of God's people not doing those things. So in this story, we can see both the examples to follow in walking in Christ, but also Christ himself. We can learn from God's people, but we also can see how this story was ordained of God to tell us about our Savior. And so, Lord willing, we'll do uh, both of those things this morning. We'll see some examples for us as God's people, but we'll also see uh, the Lord Jesus Christ. So uh, Naomi and Ruth, their husbands have died, so... Naomi's lost both her boys and her husband, and so Naomi and her daughter-in-law Ruth are coming back to uh, Judah. It was the beginning of the barley harvest. They come back. The fields are full. They're white and ready to harvest. There's food to be had. They come back home. Naomi's upset. She is bitter about things that have happened. Ruth comes with her, doesn't know anybody, doesn't know the situation. All she knows is, this is my new home. And we got to get something to eat. You can imagine the joy there in Judah. Famine had been the way for a decade. People had starved. People had been uh, their their life, their joy, their happiness in this world have been taken away. But we know the cycle, don't we, from the book of Judges. The cycle was the people would rebel. God would send plagues, enemies, famine. They would they would repent. God would send a judge, a deliverer, and God would restore them back in a good relationship, a good fellowship with them. So this cycle has gone through. The people had Followed after false gods because there was famine in the land. And as we saw earlier, this as God's covenant people, Israel, God had told him, if you live according to the ways of the covenant in this land, then I will bless this land. And if you don't, then there will be a curse. Um, he will withhold the rain. And, and that's what happened. Well, now that there's food again, we can, I think, rightly assume that there had been repentance. There had been sort of a revival of the worship of the Lord God, because now there's food again. And just like God said in his covenant promises to the nation of Israel, that's what would happen. And you see that happen in the book of Judges, and we're in the days of Judges. So we can assume not only a restoration of the food, but a restoration, a revival of religion, we might say. So there is joy again. Not only is God blessing them with physical food, but no doubt there is a a joy of of walking with the Lord, of God's people. There was, there was revival. And so that is the context in which Naomi and, and Ruth return. A time of joy, a time of, of, of plenty again. So happy days are here again, you might, you might say. And even though that Naomi and Ruth are are downtrodden, they're coming into a land of blessing. And that's how chapter 1 ends. And then chapter 2 begins, Naomi had a kinsman, her husband, a mighty man of wealth, the family of Elimelech, and his name was Boaz. And so the the narrator comes in and just gives us this fact. And so we're reading this, and hmm, I wonder, how is this going to come into play? And so this fact is just thrown out there. Uh, Here's a guy named Boaz. Remember this guy. He's going to be important. He's a friend of her husband, but also, more importantly than that, a, a close relative. A mighty man of wealth. Several times um, in the scriptures, in the book of Joshua and Judges, 2 Samuel, 2 Kings, um, it refers to a mighty man as a war hero. So Boaz was a mighty man of wealth or a a capable person. So he's not just a, a wealthy guy. He was an honorable man. He was powerful. He was wealthy. A leader. And since it was the time of the judges, he might have been a war hero. He might have been uh, a man who had had seen battle, who had protected the people. But he was well known. He was influential. Boaz was was one of the the big guys of the time. Powerful, wealthy, honorable. People looked up to him. He was a good man. a, A leader, a man of influence. And so the, the only other man that we know of so far in the story is Elimelech, kind of the, the opposite of him. Things got tough, and Elimelech left Judah and went to Moab. Things got hard, Elimelech took his family elsewhere. But now here's a new man that comes on the scene, a friend of Elimelech, a, a, a relative. But he's kind of everything that Elimelech wasn't. He was strong, he was powerful, he was wealthy. He was in the same family as uh, Elimelech was. Um, so you had the tribe of Judah, which were the descendants of Judah, of course. And then within that tribe, you had closer family members. So you had been like your, your, your cousins, your, your closer family, your tribe, your clan. Well, Elimelech and Boaz were in that same tribe, that same clan. They were in the tribe of Judah, but then they were in that closer clan of of relatives. And with that came some family responsibilities. And I'm not going to get much into that right now, but, but it's very important to the story that Elimelech and Boaz were close. Because Boaz, you were that close, you had some responsibilities according to the law. To take care of your family. And so as as you read this, well, here's a man named Boaz, and he's in that clan of Elimelech. And he's a good man, a mighty man, a wealthy man. So the the Lord puts that out there for us and says, Remember this, it's gonna be important. And so now we go back to the story. And Ruth. The Moabite said unto Naomi, Let me now go to the field and glean ears of corn after him whose side I shall find grace. And he said, and she said unto her, Go, my daughter. So, in in the Bible times, as far as gleaning goes in the Bible times, you'd have the reaper who would go through the fields, and he would with his left hand grab a hold of the of the grain and have a sickle in his right hand until so he'd grab a hold of it cut it go a little bit more cut it until you'd have a handful and then they'd lay him down and then somebody would come behind and they'd they'd bail it up tied up in bundles and so as you read here that's kind of the situation that they had that they would go through and they'd have men that go through and they'd they'd cut it carry it bundle you know get a big pile of it set it down and go on to the next one and then somebody would come along with them and they'd, they'd bundle it up and then when they were all done with it they could come through and gather it and, and take it in so uh ruth said told naomi said i'm gonna go find a field and, and start gleaning because remember they just got to town it's not like she can go to the unemployment office or the social security office. or they don't. She, Ruth doesn't know anybody, doesn't have any, doesn't have any uh, way to provide for herself. She says, it's barley harvest, so I'm going to go glean. And so what they would do is they would go through and, and they would uh, take what was left over, what was dropped. And, it's, and so it wasn't like picking green beans in your garden in this kind of work where you go through and you very carefully make sure that you get out all that you have. So if you, if you have a, a garden and you work it and, and you, know, you don't have hundreds of acres of, of beans, you just have a little bit of, uh, of, of a garden, you go through, you want every bean that's out there. Because uh, you you're not going to have an overflowing harvest anyway, but it's out there, you want to get it. So you might go through very carefully and get every one that you want. But if you have a lot if you have hundreds of acres, or a, a giant field, and the longer that it sits out there, the more of a chance that it's just going to go bad, time is of the essence. So these workers would go through as fast as possible, and what they would do is they would get as much as they could without wasting anything, without skipping anything, but it would be counterproductive to turn around every time you drop something, And pick it back up because in the long run if you did that all day long if you go and drop something set everything down pick it up and and if you did that every five steps by the end of the day you would have lost more in the process than you would have gained by going back and picking it up so they would go through as fast as they can as efficiently as they could get as much as possible and if they dropped they dropped corn if they dropped some grain well that's they just go on and leave it behind And so people would glean, they would go in after that. And they would pick up what was dropped and what was left over. We did that uh, picking apples. So we got paid by the bushel. And if you're picking apples and you're getting paid by the bushel and there's one apple out on the limb somewhere that's going to take you five minutes to get your ladder in a situation and climb up and reach for it and come back down to get that one apple, well, the, the worker's not going to do that. He's just going to go on to the next tree. And so my grandpa would, sometimes he'd pay people by the hour to go through and pick up what was left over. Um, So that's kind of the scenario that you have. Well, this is important also because of the law of God. Let's look uh, in the book of Leviticus, chapter 19. Because this is the way that God provided for the poor. This gleaning situation. Um, God didn't have a social welfare system. God had a way for people who were poor to go out and to work and provide. Leviticus 9, 19 rather, verse number 9, When you reap the harvest of your land, thou shalt not wholly reap of the corners of thy field, neither shalt thou gather the gleanings out of thy harvest. And thou shalt not glean thy vineyard, neither shalt thou gather every grape of the vineyard. Thou shalt leave them for the poor and the stranger. I am the Lord your God. So, God built this into his law. The most efficient way to do this is to go through and get as much as possible without wasting anything and not go back and try to pick up everything that you drop um, you know, and, get, and get greedy and try to get every single thing. Because uh, in the long run, you'll, you'll not get as much as if you just went, went forward. But that also provides for people. And so they weren't to go back and to glean over the food at, or their fields. They were to leave it there. Because if you had a widow, young orphan, someone starving to death, a foreigner, they could wait until the workers have finished their day's work and they could come behind them and, and look through what they had already harvested. And everything that was on the ground that they had dropped, they can come back and they can have that. The Lord also said, Leave the corners of the fields. And that can be for the poor people too. Well, Why did God do that? Look in verse number 18 of Leviticus 19. The first part of it says, Thou shalt not avenge nor bear any grudge against the children of thy people, but thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. I am the Lord. This is how the people loved their neighbor. This is how they loved one another. By not... Giving, uh, you know, not allowing someone who is lazy just to, uh, to live off other people. He said, here's how we're going to love your neighbor. Here's how you're going to love people. You're going to give them an opportunity to go out and to work, an opportunity to go out and provide. You're going to give them something that they don't have, land, um, uh, food, and you're going to allow them to go out and get this. This is loving them. Um, over in chapter 23 of Leviticus, verse 22. I think that would be just a good principle in general, just in our day and time, if you think about it. Because if you give somebody that doesn't really work the opportunity not to work, they're going to take it every time. If you say, okay, you can either starve to death or not work and we'll feed you. Well, a lot of people say, well, I'll, why would I work? If you're going to feed me anyway, why would I do that? Um, now it's immoral, but people are going to do that. Well, the Lord's system works much better and says we'll provide work for you. We'll provide food for you. You just have to get you just have to go out and get it. It's laying there. You just go out and pick it up. That is a merciful way and a loving way uh, that God chose to provide. Leviticus 23, 22 says, and when you reap the harvest of your land, thou shalt not Make clean riddance of the corners of thy field. When thou reapest, neither shalt thou gather any gleanings out of the harvest. Thou shalt leave them unto the poor and the stranger. I am the Lord your God. So this love didn't extend just to Israelites, but to anyone in the world. This law extended to Ruth, the Moabitess, because she was a stranger. The law of God made provision for the Israelites, the downtrodden, the, the the poorest of the people, the strangers, to have means by which they could survive. All who would have faith could come, and and Ruth. Perhaps knowing this law, says, I'm going to go glean. I'm going to go and, and take what the Lord has provided for me. The Lord said that I could go and, and pick up after the, the workers and that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to, to trust in the reliance of, of God because God is the landowner. God is the one who provides. God is the landowner and and the people who had the land are just caretakers of it for the Lord, because it's the Lord's land that He gave to His people. And so the Lord said, "You leave the corners; don't go back and glean." That's that's how you're going to love your neighbor. Ruth, the Moabite, knows this. You know she's called the Moabite five times in this story. You um, don't want to forget that she's the outsider here. She's the alien. She's the foreigner. And there's a little bit of danger here. There's a little bit of prejudice that she could face. Now remember, they're just coming out of the famine. Why did they go into the famine to start with? Remember the cycle. They would go after false gods. They would go after false gods, and once they went after false gods, God God would judge them. They're coming out of that cycle, so they might be remembering, Hey, we just intertwined with these false gods. And, and brought judgment upon our land God is blessing us again and the, and the people are out working they look up and here's this Moabite girl that comes along here's this Moabitess woman that, that comes along and they're looking and saying oh no not again <laughs> not another not another temptation that, that some uh, woman with her false god is going to come in and we're going to fall again so she could be in somewhat danger. And you find this all throughout chapter 2, in verse 8, 15, 16, 22, where there's this hint of danger because uh, Boaz warns his workers not to mess with her. He tells her not to go off because she'd be safe with him. Well, Ruth comes, and she asks permission. Verse 3, And she went and came and gleaned in the field after the reapers, and her half was the light on a part of the field belonging to Boaz, who was the kindred of Lemuel. And you read later on that she came. In verse 7, she said, I pray you let me glean and gather after the reapers among the sheaves. So she goes and she wakes up and says, Naomi, I'm going to go glean we got to get some food. It's harvest time. I'm going to go glean and see if I can get us something to eat today. And she goes, and the law of God said that she could do that because it was open to the stranger. But verse 7 tells us she went to the men and, and, and asked permission, permission. So she wakes up, and, and she goes out, and she doesn't know where she's going to go. She said, let me go now find a field where there's something to eat. She wakes, walks, you know, wakes up and starts walking around. It says, and her hat was light on part of the field belonging to Boaz. She didn't have time to sit around and wait. There's urgency here. It's the harvest time. You, don't, you only have so much time to get to harvest, and she knows this, and, and she goes, i got to get to work. And so there's some urgency here that's pushing the story forward. There's only so much time that she's got, and then she goes and and we can imagine the hustle and bustle of the of the day as it's getting started, and people are heading to the fields, and people are out working, maybe out singing, and and she doesn't really know where to go, and she's just walking, and and there's a field, and, and she goes, well, I guess there's a lot of people over there. There's some women down there working too. One place is as good as another, I guess. Let me let me try this one. And as Ruth is walking, maybe if we would, have, if we were there, we could have walked up beside her and said, "Where are you going?" She said, "I'm just trying to find some place to glean." Why are you going over there? I don't know. It look, it looks like it's a pretty good field, and I see some women down there glean It looks like they're gleaning too, and I don't know. I, this this is, looks like a good one, and that's what it's telling us here. It was her hap to light upon it. It was. In other words you might say by luck by chance that's what that means that, that, that there was no reason that she went there Ruth saw maybe busy workers there there's strangers everywhere she doesn't know anybody that she doesn't know what to do or or where to go her first time maybe seeing in this land she had countless choices before But this verse isn't telling us that there was some sort of chance or accident or that just that it was her lucky day. I think it's showing the opposite. It's just telling us the story from her perspective. That Ruth had no other designs rather than to find some place where she could feed her and Naomi. Of all the fields that she could have went to, on all the days that she could have went to, and all the corners of that one field that she could have went to. She just happened to end up in this particular field that belonged to Boaz, the kindred of the limelight. She doesn't know Boaz from anybody. She doesn't know the family. She doesn't know any of these things. She says, oh, there's a field. Let me try this one. But as God tells us again, this one belongs to Boaz. You remember Boaz, the wealthy man, the mighty man, the kindred of Elimelech. So it's so Ruth. So by saying that she just happened upon there, is pointing out that to her it was just a random chance, no reason at all, other than I'm just going to try this one. But in God's, from God's point of view, since he has orchestrated this, it wasn't by chance at all. And so we see from the human perspective, she feels like maybe that she's just being carried along the current. I don't know where I'm going. There's a bunch of people over here. Let me just try that one. I don't know. Like maybe you're applying for jobs and I've done that before when I was out of work. I just Started applying, applying, and uh, didn't even, some of them I didn't even read the qualifications. I just applied, filled out my application, sent it in, mailed my resume, just hoping somebody would call me back. You just, yeah, there, there was no either rhyme or reason other than, well, these people are hiring, let me give it a shot. And you know what happens? Well, sometimes they call you back, and then you, you say, well, how did you get this job? Well, I don't really know. I just sort of fell into it. But is that the case? Well, no, you don't just, fall into things. This is God's providence. He has orchestrated all this. But we're getting Ruth's perspective that that that's the way she feels, that she's just being carried along. And so my point in this is that whenever things happen in your life and you kind of feel like you're just being carried along by the current and you don't have any control and you say, I don't know what to do. And you say, well, there's only one choice before me and and I'm just going to go here and we'll see what happens. Well, that is part of God's providence. That's part of God's fatherly care. God is orchestrating this. Well, in verse four, and behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem and said to the reapers, "Lord be with you." And they answered, "The Lord bless thee." So Boaz just happens to come out to this particular field to check up on the progress of the workers, and he gives them a benediction, God's blessings. So. Boaz was was the the owner. He's got all these workers out working, and he comes out and he blesses them like a, peace, a priest. He he's just a godly man. The Lord be with you, Jehovah, the covenant-keeping God, be with you, workers. And then the people answered, "Lord, bless thee. May God bless you." And so we have um, Boaz blessing the people. We have the people blessing the lord Uh, lord bless you Uh, boaz that'd be a pretty good farm to work on wouldn't it that'd be a pretty good place to work where the owner comes out and and prays blessings upon the people and the the people working there blessing them kind of get a little bit of comfort here now for ruth don't you you're worried about her that that what's she going to do Right away, the Lord says that, that Ruth has happened upon a place where people know God, and people love God, and trust in God. That it is Jehovah that is the, the owner of this property. And it wasn't luck after all, was it? It was Jehovah, the covenant-keeping God, who has orchestrated this. The lot is cast in the lap, but the whole disposing thereof is of the Lord, it says in Proverbs 16.33. You could ask anybody, how did Ruth got up there? Well, she's just lucky. Well, no, she wasn't lucky. She was in the hand of the Almighty God disposing the whole thing that or, or orchestrating it out. Well, Boaz is looking over the workers and, and seeing how things are going. In verse 5, he said, whose damsel was this? So Boaz notices Ruth. Well, she's not one of my workers. And, what did he notice about it? Well, something caught his eye, and just right away, he said, "Who's this girl? Who she belong to? whose Whose wife is this? Whose daughter is this? And maybe he wants to know: Is well, is, is, is she, she attached? To, is, she, is she married? Is who, who is this? Something naturally has." Captured the eye of of Boaz, and now he's intrigued. He he's smitten, I I believe. And there's nothing wrong with that. It is there's nothing wrong uh, with with Boaz seeing her and his heart being uh, uh, captivated by her. And no, maybe he noticed her beauty. I, I don't know what he noticed about her. It's not important. But he did. And um, he said, "Well, who's who's this, who does she belong to?" And if uh, she didn't belong to anybody, then we find that you know Boaz may, may be interested in her. But uh, you know, the, like I said, there, there's nothing wrong with that, and and he just uh, God has made men and women in such a way that the the, the man and woman would be attracted to one another, and so he sees her and is intrigued by her. And the servant that was set over the reapers answered, well, this is the Moabitus damsel that came back with Naomi out of the country of Moab. And she said, I pray you let me glean and gather the reapers among the sheaves. So she came and hath continued even from the morning until now that she tarried a little in the house. He said, well, did you hear about Naomi and that Moabite girl? Well, that's her. She's the damsel that came back with her. And she showed up here this morning and said, can I glean? And she's been standing here ever since. Now it's really captured uh, Boaz. You know, he may have noticed her, her beauty at first, but, but now he's really interested because now he knows who she is. He knows that she's that, the widow that came back with, with Naomi. Then Bo, said Boaz to Ruth, Here's thou not my daughter. Go not to glean in another field, neither go from hence, but abide here fast by my maidens. Let thy eyes be on the field that they do reap, and go thou after them. Have I not charged the young men that they shall not touch thee? And when thou art athirst, go to the vessels and drink of that which the young man hath drawn. So he goes up to her and says, Ruth, I'm, I'm Boaz. Now this is my field. and Now I want you to listen to me. I don't want you to go anywhere else. You stay in this field. You came to the right place. Because Um, I want you to stay with my workers and don't go off and and go with the gleaner. You stay with my workers and they'll they'll help you. They'll they'll guide you along. And my men aren't going to bother you. I've already told them. They're not going to mess with you. You don't have to worry about that. You're safe here. Nobody's going to hurt you. And they're going to watch over you and nobody's going to mess with you. And so you can just be, be, be free and you can be safe here in this field. Now, don't go anywhere else because you're going to be provided for here. And you're th- when you're thirsty, go get you something to drink. Uh, my, my workers go and they, they draw water from the well. You don't have to worry about that. Don't get out here and get dehydrated. Don't, get, don't kill yourself. When you're thirsty, go over to the water that's provided for my workers and, and have that. You're going, to, you're going to be blessed here. Well, Boaz, first of all, he keeps the law by letting Ruth glean. That was the law. But, but notice how he doesn't keep the letter of the law, does he? But he, he's showing love towards her, being gracious. The law said, let her pick the corners. <clears throat> Law didn't say anything about uh, giving her water. Law didn't say anything about letting her go with the other workers. The law is good to love your neighbor, but Boaz exemplifies grace here in that he loves and loves abundantly above and beyond what is even uh, written in the letter. He shows the spirit of the law uh, by by not just doing exactly what it says and as little as he can get away with, but to be gracious to her and showing her abundant mercy. Well, then verse 10, she fell on her face and bowed herself to the ground and said unto him, Why have I found grace in thy eyes that thou shouldest take knowledge of me, seeing that I'm a stranger? I think Ruth probably knew that she was allowed to go glean. But, Blessing upon blessing upon blessing. She asks permission even if she could do. She comes in humility and said, I know I'm a Moabitess and could you let me just pick up what you dropped on the ground? And the worker said, well sure, you can do that. But then Boaz says, no, you're not just going to pick up what's dropped on the ground, but you're going to have water, you're going to have provision, you're going to have protection, you're going to have safety, you're going to act. You're going to be a part of my crew. You're going to be blessed here, and so she sees that she she has found grace. That word um, is translated favor in verse thirteen, but three times in this chapter talks about the grace that she's received. Well, why why would you do this to me? Verse eleven, Boaz said said it has been fully showed me all that thou hast done unto thy mother-in-law since the death of thy husband and how thou hast left father and mother and the land of thy nativity and art come to a people which thou knewest not here The Lord recompense thy work and a full reward be given thee of the Lord God of Israel under whose wings thou art come to trust. So he said, you might not know me, but I've heard about you. I've heard about the hardship that you had. I've heard that you've lost your husband and your father-in-law, and your brother-in-law. But I also heard how you didn't desert Naomi. I knew Naomi before she left. I was a friend of her husband. And I've heard how you've dealt with her, and how you followed her, and how you've blessed her. And Boaz is just saying, my grace is nothing more, in my view of, of the Lord just repaying you for the kindness that you received. Now, Ruth didn't do that for the reward, but she did it because she loved Ruth, or she loved Naomi. She loved Naomi, and she blessed her, but, but the Lord has seen her act of faith and act of her love, and the Lord is blessing her far beyond what she could have even imagined. He said, I know that you left all to come to Judah, but you've come by faith, and the Lord is blessing you. Whenever He's saying that she's come to uh, under the wings of God, it's it's like um, a little chick coming to the to mama bird and hiding under their wings for protection. Psalm thirty six seven. How excellent is thy loving kindness, O God? Therefore, the children of men put their trust under the shadow of thy wings. That's another phrase that's all throughout this book. The Hebrew word of the, the loving kindness. Favor, blessing. And and because of the loving kindness of God, men put their trust in the Lord. Remember, Naomi wanted Ruth to go back so she could find rest in a husband. Well, Boaz said, the Lord has blessed you and you've come back to Judah that you might find rest in him. There was rest here for Ruth because she had come to trust the Lord. She had come to find um, uh, she had come and found rest with God. In the shadow of his wings God's people take their refuge. And then verse 13 says, And then she said, Let me find favor in thy sight, my Lord, for thou hast comforted me. And for that thou hast spoken friendly unto thy handmaid, though I be not like one of thy handmaidens. So she said, Lord, she said, um, you've blessed me. You've comforted me. Even though I'm not like everybody else here. And Ruth understood this. She understood that she was the Moabitess. She was the outsider. She was the foreigner. She was not born in the family of Israel. She had no claim to, to anyone's kindness there. She had no promise of protection. She had no right to the provision of water, to the provision of safety. But, but here is Boaz blessing her above measure. Here is Boaz showing her mercy, who didn't deserve it. Kindness. Who was, it wasn't required even, in the, in the way that he had shown Boaz looks at her and speaks kindly to her and shows her grace and shows her mercy. I don't know if uh, I don't know if uh, it was her beauty or what that that caught uh, Ruth's eye or, or Boaz's eye. But we see here that it was we see what captures Ruth, we see what gets her attention here. It was his. Kindness, it was his gentleness, it was his provision. It was one that come and said, "I will, I will show you grace. I will, I will bless you. I will care for you. I will protect you. I I'll, I'll will provide for you." And so, just practically speaking, Boaz here showing what a godly man, uh, how he is, you know, pursuing uh, this woman by. Um, you know, not by feats of strength or those type of things, but but by his graciousness and his kindness. But we also see here that it, uh, Ruth and her godliness, how uh, uh, that that she um, in humility sees what he has done for, her and, and sees her blessing. But we also see in this, as I said, uh, we see Christ in that. Here is Ruth, this Gentile. Not deserving the blessings of God. Not deserving to be in among God's people. But by grace, she is brought in, not just as a servant, but brought in to be one among them. It would been good enough if she just had something to eat. She went home happy, praising God, I got something to eat for today. But, but she is blessed over and beyond. It would be good enough for you and I to say, the Lord has forgiven me of my sins. But think of all of He's given us, us Gentiles, us outsiders, us foreigners. God has provided for us and saved us and redeemed us and, and, and blessed us measure upon measure upon measure, brought us into his family, adopted us into his family, and, and given us far above anything that we, we could ever deserve. And how did this all come about? In the providence of God. This elect woman, chosen from before the foundation of the world, uh, God has orchestrated, brought her to his people. And brought her into a place where there is hope for her redemption. As, as you find out later on in the story. That God has orchestrated this whole story for her good and for her benefit. And So as we uh, meditate on this passage, um, we're just about halfway through that, the, the story here of her out in the field, but but so far, we can see God's work in it, God's grace in it, God's mercy to an undeserving sinner that God provides for his people in Christ Jesus. And so we can go forth here and, and trust in him and rest in God's gracious promises. May the Lord bless uh,